another edition of the Sports Q&A Podcast. I'm Q. And I'm A. And we're here on the cusp of the most magical time of the year, March Madness. But March Madness is not... It's not going to dominate that's our not, show. And truthfully, that's not just for basketball. That's football. Nah, considering the fact that the NFL has no real offseason. Right. Today is the prequel to the official uh, Lions Super Bowl party, as it always is. Because <laughs> this is where Lions fans can get all up in arms and get excited and feel better and Unfortunately, traditionally, just you know, it just gradually gets worse from there, regardless of whoever the case may be. But we're gonna jump right into the NFL. Today is the beginning of the two-day period where players and and teams can talk, and of course, nobody wants to keep things under wraps uh, or, or what they're doing. So teams are making official announcements that they're signing people. People are doing all those other things. But before we talk about free agency, we will be remiss if we do not talk about Antonio Brown, who is now a member of the Oakland, Las Vegas, L.A. Raiders. I'm going to call them all because that's what they are. So, given how this broke down, and I figured that the Raiders would be one of the few teams that would really go after him hard in the paint. What are you, what's your, your gut reaction to Antonio Brown now being a member of the Raiders? I mean, here's the thing with this. Everybody is looking at how much of a malcontent, how he kind of forced his way out of Pittsburgh. But, I mean... This is the way of the NFL players taking some type of control of their destinies. I mean, for so long, they haven't had control. And even now, with how the contracts are structured, very few guaranteed deals, they still don't really have a lot of flexibility. And I didn't realize, even before this deal, he had zero guaranteed money in Pittsburgh even when he had three years left on that deal. So that was the crux of the whole situation as far as him trying to, I mean, kind of shake, shake the table, so to speak, him and Le'Veon Bell, who still out on the market. We figure with someone being that high on the list of these top three agent lists, we would hear a lot more. We would have heard a lot more about him, but we still have yet to hear any true inclinations of where he may end up. I know we've heard the Jets. I know we've heard Indianapolis. Even Baltimore got talked in there um, a couple of conversations, but for a guy to be that productive and that value that a running back position, he, he hasn't garnered a lot of conversations as far as the rumor mill. Now, back to uh, Antonio Brown, Wide receiver diva, you already know that position commands a lot of attention. And it's interesting that the Raiders was the landing spot because they traded away their number one receiver in um, 
Amari Cooper. Now he's a Cooper's a little bit younger, but as far as the dynamics of the skill set, excitement, I think Brown takes the cake and and Gruden is okay with these type of players. I think that's where a lot of people will worry, okay, will he be a distraction at the new location? Gruden doesn't mind having one or two players that kind of fit into this mode of calling it like a T.I. is or being a little bit more vocal. And for a team like the Raiders that are trying to make this transition to Las Vegas within within the next few years, they need some excitement. So you pair him with uh, David Carr, who they're looking to bounce back, uh, figure out the running back position. And I I take that back. I did hear them being mentioned as far as a potential future for the Le'Veon Bell, but it really wasn't too loud. So, get a running back. They they shored up some of their defensive. Uh, they they found them a left tackle um, in trading for the starter from the, the Patriots, and they found them a safety with Lamarcus Joyner, who was a free agent, one of the top safeties on the market. So, you couple that with three first round picks. Raiders, I'm not sure if they're still ready to go back to the playoffs, but this team won't be as bad as they were last year. Yeah, they won't be as bad. Uh, I will commend Antonio Brown on this. He bet on himself, and he won. Won it out of Pittsburgh, malcontent there. Won it guaranteed money, and was able to do all of that on his own and control where he went because there was a rumor that went out that he was going to Buffalo and he basically poo-pooed on that and would not be willing was not willing to negotiate uh with them and the bills backed up like I'm going to say this if I am the Pittsburgh Steelers he would have been a bill the rumor, the rumor was they offered a, a first-round pick. He would have been a bill. He would have just been mad. That would have been the bill's problem and my first-round pick. Some people feel that, that, that Pittsburgh got holes, only getting a third and a fifth. But I think they felt that the effect, the negative effect that he would have had far outweighed what they got back in return. So I I think that they were good with that. To me, if I'm a Raiders fan, and I know a couple of them, some of them didn't want them to touch it with a 10-foot pole with the simple fact that what happens when they struggle and you got a young quarterback, because David Carr is not a star. He's a good quarterback, but he's coming off his worst season. What happens when the rubber meets the road? Antonio Brown has already broke broken the, the, the code of silence regarding the locker room, letting out everything that he all the negative aspects he had with with Big Ben and everything else that went down there. So trust has to be built. Yeah, your skill set is is top notch. But what happens when he's not getting you the ball? What happens if you all get Le'Veon? And it's not the same offense as it was in Pittsburgh, and it becomes run heavy. 
and you're not getting the ball. You know, that's that's what's going to... I mean, that's what I'm waiting to see how everybody reacts to that. Not just uh, Antonio Brown, but the whole organization, even Gruden. You know, yeah, you want to take these guys and bring these guys uh, along, um, but is it going to be to the benefit of your team, your whole team, or is it just going to be a bunch of guys who you know, are good players. And that's going to be the the telltale uh, for them in this situation. I, I mean, I don't think it's overall bad situation. Um, but I just think that it's a to-be-determined. Like, they still have a long way to go. They're still in the AFC. They got a long way to go to... Especially when you factor in... The Chargers are still there. The Chiefs got better. They signed the Honey Badger, and I don't see them. And they signed a um, running back from Ohio, Carlos Hyde. Yep. So you factor in from the improvements on both sides of the ball. Uh, it's still they're still the third best team in that division. So they it's still a long way to go for them. Yeah, I mean, and again, they still have, you know, money to move, things to to make happen that they could improve themselves. But again, on on paper and on the field, it's two different things. Because to me, and even though everybody know I, I I still haven't watched NFL in two years, I still pay attention to it. They didn't really take to Gruden in his whole aspect because again, he got rid of some key players in the beginning of the season. And guys have really, uh, you know, that locker room aspect. You know, this these are our best players. You letting them go, so basically you tanking. You know, that feeling of losing, and some people feeling on purpose. You know, to get to where you are, is different. Now, granted, with the number of draft picks, first round draft picks they have, which I still don't know how Pittsburgh did not get at least one of them. Right. Right, dude. Just take the last one. Just take the last one. But as many as they have the ability to improve, but I don't see it being that astronomical improvement for this year. I see it being an an improvement next year, where your quarterback and wide receiver and whoever your running back get a year under their belt. You get these these high draft picks, getting some experience. That's where you will see him. You see, you'll have uh, another a, a year older under Brady and and the Je- I mean and uh, and the Pats. You know, all of those things play will play in the fact uh, and uh, play a factor into the improvement of the Raiders for the 2020 season, in my opinion. But again, they may jail faster. Um, but I've always been of the mindset of with this. Uh, new regime or new old regime of the Raiders that this is just all for show. Uh with that no starting with that ridiculous contract for Gruden from the beginning. But, you know, I'm not a Raiders fan. But as the NFL I am a fan of the Lions. And I don't know if I should call them the Detroit Lions or the Detroit Patriots right now. But uh the Lions have been active. 
and it's and it's a really a sight to see in the Detroit area when the Detroit Lions make moves. Uh, the reaction is, in some cases, the equivalent of them making no moves. People are just mad. The 1957, I mean, 1957 Lions fans that we never had a winner ever, 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 they come out like roaches when the lights come on. Um, but the thing is, is that they're doing something. Some people agree with the the New England way. I don't really see it as a full on fledged a full fledged New England way. I see it being part of that, but I also see them going after players in multi facets. You get an Amadola, who's a vet, who can lead your he. I mean, he can lead and give you veteran leadership. You're not asking him to be Golden Tate. And if anybody feels that. Golden Tate, now this is the replacement or upgrade to Golden Tate, you're sadly mistaken. I don't think that's why he was signed. Right. Then then, then you get uh, uh, Jesse James, tight end. That was their worst position offensively, in my opinion, out of the skill set players, um, who provides some blocking as well as a 6-7 body in the passing game. You get the the bell of the ball, Trey Flowers, who is uh, is an upgrade from Ziggy. Again, you probably pay a little bit more for him than you know his value. But again, the value is what people are willing to pay. Um, but with his youth and his contract, he should be, you know, a staple. And then, why well, I can't think of it. What's the quarterback, uh, cornerback's name they signed? Uh, not, it's not Campbell. What's his name from uh, Seattle? Coleman. Uh, yeah. Um, Coleman. Now again, he's he he's a he's a nickelback. He he's Coleman. Right. He set he set the uh, he set the record for the highest contract for a nickelback. But they said that he had no touchdown scores to get him against them playing against the slot. That's huge, cause I ain't watch no Lions game, but I sure know they had issues gov- uh, guard- uh, covering guys in space, uh, kind of like Michigan. It's just, uh-huh. it, you know, so so the thing is, is that um, they're making moves. Um, it's not gonna be what everybody wants, uh, but you just have to see it. I mean, whether you agree or not, today really shouldn't flip you one way or the other. Right. These are what the, the what the management feels are players that are going to help them get to the next level or get them closer to where they want to be. But it is clear with one thing with this, and I'm going to let you go and get your opinion, that the Lions are not in rebuild mode. They are going yeah. for, they're going for something. I don't know what level of something that they're going, but they are going for something. And how they draft... I think will determine where it is. To me, it just appears like they're going to be trying to be a defensive team that can control the game and an offense that can just be efficient and get things done. But again, everything is not all the way done yet as far as them building their roster. But it it is a Quinn roster now because he only has five players that were there before he was there. 
and he only been here four years. That's a huge turnaround. I don't think people really look and see how big of a turnaround that is. That in four years, out of a 53-man roster, there are five men left. And it wasn't like it was the 0-16 team either. So, what are your thoughts on, on uh, what the Leos have done so far? Here's the best way to sum up everything. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, there's Lions fans on one side that are excited that they made moves. There's Lions fans, oh, here we go, overspending for players that are bombed, blah, blah, blah. They don't do anything. And it's just ironic that they want to focus on the whole process of Oh, here we go with some more Patriots. I'm like, but last year, the bulk of last year's free agency signings weren't Patriots. When you look at uh, Christian Jones, when you look at Romeo Coral, who they re-signed, when you look at uh, um, a bunch of Eli Harrell and a bunch of other guys that they brought in, yeah, sure, uh, Bear Blanc was a former Patriot. But the bulk of the guys that made a major impact last year were not Devin Kennard. They weren't affiliated, associated with the Patriots. And I think last year, I think if they'd have been making those moves, a bunch of those guys last year, you you would have kind of been worried. But they 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 tried to salvage themselves, and they figured, okay, this worked in a lot of places, but we still <coughs> came up short. And some others. So let's solidify these places with some guys that we know. Case in point with the whole Danny Amendola signing. This guy out of a slot, even with when you look at production that Golden Tate had, he still was up there in, in the league, league with the between the Lions and the uh, Eagles and dropped. Mm-hmm. Um he had he had a couple games where he where he dropped balls. He's like, how did he drop that pass? Whereas conversely, Danny Amendola had a catch percent. He had a catch percentage in the 70 percentile for the past four or five years. This guy does not drop the ball. He does not make those mistakes. I mean, even the Lions should remember that game against Miami this year. Even though the Lions handily won it, he got off. I think seven catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown. So, I mean... They're not bringing him in to be a number one, which he ended up having to kind of elevate himself into in Miami. <coughs> he's going to be a third option, and then he's also being brought in to kind of groom and help Brandon Powell, who showed some flashes last year, to learn how to be that, that guy, to be a professional wide receiver, the nuances and all that stuff. And maybe he, he could even help. Dallas, I think the one thing that the Lions receivers struggle with outside of Marvin Jones is the route running. There's the, there's the small intricacies of it. And now you have, you bring those three back and maybe you just sign or draft another wide receiver depending on how things work out. Now this really becomes a position of strength. Um, tied in with Jesse James, I, I think they could bring back poor Lolo that they uh, signed from Atlanta last year because he was the, the highest-rated run blocker in the NFL. And you still need someone that can do that. 
So I think those are benefits. And, I mean, like you said, there's going to be teams. I mean, I've seen the Packer fans kind of go anal because they haven't made any moves. Like, okay, what are we doing? Are we going to make some moves? Are we going to do something? I mean, you've seen other teams like Pittsburgh rid themselves of a couple of key players, but they realize Pittsburgh defense is not Pittsburgh defense and even Baltimore's defense. They groom these players to be replaced. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a, a guy like Terrell Suggs moving on to Arizona, even though he's a little bit older, or you look at C.J. Mosley and those guys, they're not batting their eye too much because their replacement is already on the roster or they trust that their, their uh, track record for drafting. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, we still have some names out there. And just as quickly as I brought up Le'Veon Bell, I saw something go on my Twitter, one of my Twitter timelines saying that the, the Eagles mm. seem to be the leading team to sign him. So just imagine that they sign Le'Veon Bell, how much dangerous that team becomes. And they really have to hope Carson Wentz is healthy. Carson Wentz is ready to be that quarterback because there is no more Nick Foles to face him. There is no more Nick Foles to kind of hold the fourth down. It's him taking his talents down to Duval County and signing with the Jaguars like everybody basically expected him to. So it's going to definitely be interesting to see what Philly does now that they have uh, D-Jacks back again after trading for him. Um, and it's, it's a lot of interesting moves going on in that team. I know I mentioned Green Bay as a team that was kind of in their feelings for not making a move down here in Dallas. They're waiting for that first ball to drop. They still haven't even re, uh, re-signed DeMarcus Lawrence. So they're like, okay, what's going on? What are we going to do? Are we going to bring in Earl Thomas, who this, I think this is an issue with Cowboy fans, but also a lot of football fans, they see names. They mm-hmm. see names and not necessarily fit, not necessarily production, and wonder, oh, why can't we sign this guy? We got this money, we got this space, and we need to, why not sign this player? But how does that player fit into your, your scheme? How does he fit into a player's coach? Is he a guy that's willing to deal with the your type of staff that you have on hand right now? None of that is considered when these people want these names. And it's just always interesting with situations like that. And the Lions, I mean, everybody thinks they're a gym. They play mag or they play these uh, draft games and think, oh, I can do this. I can Oh, we got money. We can overpay for this guy. No. It's not. It's not even set up that way. And a lot of times, you you see those big money deals like the uh, the Landon Collins going to Washington. And sometimes you have to just thank thank yourself as a fan of a certain team that your team did not go that above and beyond. Could it work out for Collins and Washington? Sure. But as a, as a Lions fan that needed the extra, uh, needed some help in safety, I'm glad they did not pay what seems to be $13, $14 million in cap space when there's comparable players that have come cheaper. Yeah, you definitely have, uh, have to be wise. And people uh, overlook that and saying, well, you overpaid Trey Flowers, but his impact at his position 
should be more impactful than uh, than at the safety position. So it's just going to be, you know, it's not even, day one is not even over. You know, they can't even officially sign until Wednesday. So it's just uh, right. just the beginning of it. And uh just had saw one of my people on my wish list, Anthony Barr. He's going to go to the Jets. Uh, yeah. Honey Badger, like you mentioned, is going to what's name, but that safety uh, core, uh, true uh, group of free agents is pretty deep. That uh, and a position of need that a team like the Lions will be able to uh, at least get some some help. And assuming that they will go to the draft and get some additional help with that. As a rookie, you probably still will want a veteran guy on the roster to kind of solidify the position. But now the need isn't as great as it was without somebody that you can hand off the baton to. But you pair him with, uh, I guess now Diggs is going to be that other state since they've been brought. Because, I mean, there were times where they were using him as a, a slot corner. Now they can really put him back at safety, depending on which safety is, whether he's a, uh, a deep safety, cover safety, or, he, or he's in the box safety. So, truthfully, the only question that they have is what, what's going to go down with that, that opposite corner with uh, Darius Slate? Do they bring somebody in as a stopgap for one or two years, um, a guy that they figure, oh, okay, this is – He's not going to be our long-term answer, but he's a guy that's good enough for next year or maybe even the year after next until we maybe draft somebody. You have the names like Bradley Roby, who I've seen linked to a couple of teams. You have uh, Dark West Denard, formerly of the, the uh, No Fly Zone from Michigan State. Uh, Pierre Desir, who had some, a, a good year in Indy. And then you have the wild card. This is a name that normally wouldn't be on here, but because of an injury, Ronald Darby. He's a guy that had a productive had a productive stint in Philadelphia, but he's coming off an ACL injury. He may cost a team a lot less right now, and depending on where his where his uh, recovery period is, he could be ready for the season. And this is a guy you figure, okay, we invest instead of having to pay him. 10 to 12 million if he was healthy. Now we can get away with 6 to 7 million with it being incentive late. So, I mean, there's still some names out there, but also, you, you could also look at them possibly addressing that in the draft. You got guys like Justin Lane, local guys like Justin Lane uh, and, and Long from Michigan State and Long from Michigan that had great combines that kind of pushed their stock up where they had the great measurables as far as height, weight, and performance, but they weren't sure, okay, how fast is this person going to run? What is his physical going to look at and like in some of these drills? And they show, okay, we can get away with pushing this guy up to the, if not the second round, the back end, the beginning stages of the third round, and you get some quality players out of it. So, I mean, like you said earlier, we still have a long way to go. And then, not to mention, we're probably going to see another wave of free agencies, free agents after the draft. So who's going to be that marquee name or that big name that gets cut because a team addresses a need in the draft or addresses enough of a need 
when they feel comfortable to say, okay, now we can move away with this guy because we found his replacement. We found his, 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 his the guy that's going to start now, but then we found his long-term replacement in the draft. Yeah, you see that, and then now you also have that added bonus of some potential guys that may be coming from the AAF. Um, so everybody knows if you follow the show, anything you know. I'm, uh, I said it early. I'm in. I've been NFL free for two years. Um, it's just my preference. Uh, but I have watched the AAF. Uh, with some deem as being the minor league of the NFL. Um, and uh, it's been a mixed bag. Um, I think the first week it was all full excitement. I think I watched a little bit of all four games. Um, but um, it's still, uh, I think the one thing is, is that the skill position players in the AAF uh, stand out more than some, uh, than, you know, the, the big uglies, uh, up front, um, with the rules of the limited blitzing, you can only have five rushers. It does, uh, highlight corners that can cover in that type of situation where they know that, that the pressure is going to be limited and going only, you know, from, uh, a non blitzing type situation. Uh, but it's been, all right, it's been entertaining. I can definitely see how it can improve. Um, again, the the offensive players are have been ahead, but you do have some teams that have uh, had a defensive, uh, some great defensive uh, performances. But it's a it's a stopgap right now. I think it can be more. I think. Uh, once you get, I think, uh, guys who, uh, may not been invited to the draft or may, uh, have, um, may have not been able to get that shot to be able to get that exposure. So it's going to be interesting how they, you know, I know they've gone with name recognition for some instances. A lot of the guys, I think like 70% of the guys have been on the NFL roster before. But it's going to be interesting if they're going to really start pulling guys who may say, for instance, not, you know, may have gotten in some trouble in college and only played two years and they still have another year to go before they can even be eligible for the draft. Or some guys who, um, you know, may not be on the radar on the NFL, but give them an opportunity because when their season is over, the NFL teams are in OTAs. You know, so it's going to be have to be some really outstanding play for them to get those camp invites. But uh, it's entertaining. Uh, it's it's more enter is uh, more entertaining on the football sense than than the the former the first XFL um, is not as entertaining because that was gimmicky, but it is football. So I will say that it is football. It's, it's in a lot of instances like a college level of football. Um, but you have a mixed bag of uh, players. They, you know, their camp was like 14, 16 days, you know, so it wasn't a full-fledged, uh, you know, like an NFL type deal. It's going to be real interesting in the year two how many players stick together, you know. Granted, Hopefully, some will go on to the NFL, 
but how many of them are going to stick together and play again, and, you know, and build continuity? So that's, you know, I watch it. I know they come on the game and, you know, you got to catch half of them online, but it's a four o'clock game and an eight o'clock game on both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, this will probably be the last week I'll watch it with the, well, not the last week. Well, with the tournament about to come on, because that'll dominate. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it's been entertaining, and uh, I think the people that de- did it, they can learn from what has occurred. Um, I, they can learn what's occurred and build from it and make it a product. And in my opinion, make it to what it should be is some level of minor league system for the NFL. To give guys another level of exposure, uh, where they either haven't been exposed because of just where they played or anything else, or they need more playing time. Which, if you are low on the depth chart in the NFL, you don't get. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one thing I think a lot of people have been kind of bringing up is turning it into a a two way system where. NFL teams, kind of like the G League, where NFL teams have a relationship with certain AF teams, and you can oh, send your quarterback down or send certain positions or have so many roster skilled uh, players fill in roster positions for a certain team. My question is, and I think this is with some of the financial questions, how is free agency or how is the postseason going to work? Um, Obviously, I think they're going to make it through this season, and the goal is to build upon it for 2020 and beyond. But, okay, how are they going to increase the the contracts? Are these one-year deals that players have to renegotiate and everybody's open to sign with new teams? Or those are the questions I'll have to ask because if you're constantly turning over your roster, that hurts building that continuity, that hurts for the coaches, that hurts for the staff <clears throat> when they're trying to find something to build upon. Um, you have a, a team that, oh, okay, I was playing under this coaching staff and this style, and they didn't sign me. So now I'm jumping back and forth between teams, and I can't never, I can never get that continuity or that, that consistency. So that's going to hurt me when it comes down to ultimately getting that look back with the NFL like I want. Um, speaking of the coaches, what happens with turnover with that? Are, are we going to see NFL teams starting to use this as a viable internship post, so to speak? I mean, they're getting paid, but are we going to see guys that maybe, whether it's the position coaches or even the head coaches that are deciding, hmm, I want to get back into the league, so now I'm going to put my, head, my hat back in that ring um, so, is this guy not going to be an option for an NFL job, whether it's a, a coordinator position or even the head coach coach position, how does that work? So, it, it, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. I just I just hope there's some stability in the league because I watched a couple, I haven't watched it in a couple weeks because of my schedule has been off, but the first two or three weeks of the season, I was tuned in. I was looking forward to it, um, especially because, and you brought this up, Al, just the, the recognition of certain players. You recognize Davion Smith, 
Denard uh, Robinson, um, even Christian Hackenberg, who finally got replaced at quarterback. You saw enough guys that you could say, oh, I remember him from college, or I remember him having a cup of tea in the NFL where with the XFL, you really didn't have that, and they had to push that gimmick to kind of draw you in. Mm-hmm. Where, and like you said, this is kind of that that step in between college and NFL where you have those guys where it's not quite, we don't because we don't know the teams yet, it's not quite like the NFL where we're, I mean, like college football where we're watching for the name on the front of the jersey. But we're still knowing, recognizing enough guys or enough names on the back of the jersey that's going to keep us into it. Um, so it's just one of those things, hopefully, like I said, it lasts and it gives the NFL some reason to expand and build a, a, a true relationship financially and through the roster that both can benefit from it. Yeah. And again, the turnover between year one and year two is going to be, um, I think it's going to be the telltale of the life, the life expectancy of a, a league. You know, if they flip it over and redraft and all those other things, I mean, because right now it's looking like coaching. You know, the veteran coaches in this league are doing a, a pretty good job uh, with their teams. And if I get an opportunity, well, I want to play for Spurrier. You know, let, uh-huh. release me from this so I can play from you know this team. So, uh, it's just like I said, it. it, it I'm uh, play a king. Uh, you know, I uh, want to have a keen eye on how it develops and seeing this. And then you're also going to have an XFL, which is going to be a competing league, which is going to be, you know, they swear it's not going to be, you know, like it was last time, but. What is you know what is it truly gonna be, uh, you know? Cause now you you have more players, but what is the what is the product of the field gonna be like? And yeah. right now, at least right now, um, it's football. Uh, you know, and defense is kind of dominating in some instances, but it's football, and it's it's watchable, you know. Not planning the day around it, but it's watchable, and I'll take that in March. <laughs> <I'll>, right, <laughs> you know. I'll, I mean, I'll... it's it's the same reason why you have guys that were tuned in the summer league, or well, definitely summer league, not so much uh, preseason summer league basketball in July for the NBA. It's because they reckon it's something. It's basketball. It might not be quality, super quality, but it's like, okay, I recognize enough of their faces, and it gives me, it, it satisfies my itch enough till October rolls around. So, around here, they're saying they're getting ready for the playoffs. And, well, I was about to say at the Palace. A little Caesar Arena. But, uh, Today, and I'll use today as an anomaly, at least in the last two weeks of how they played, uh, Detroit Pistons took at least a 30-point loss today to the Nets. But um, the Detroit Pistons have kind of gotten it together. Uh, I don't know I don't know if I was talking to you or somebody else, but it was the Pistons win that they came back and won 
and the local media interviewed Blake Griffin. First of all, I'm going to say this. I I knew Blake Griffin was good from, from Oklahoma, had the catastrophic injury, had a really good career, great career in L.A. Did not think this was the Blake Griffin that we were getting. Uh, a, a resurgence in his career and a leader. The Pistons haven't had a leader in a long time since maybe Grant Hill. No, I'll take it back. Since Chauncey. Nah. See, yeah, I'm about to say that. I, I, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> listen, because there's been so many leaderless years, but I digress. Um, But he basically said, yeah, we got this win, but if we happy with this win, there's something wrong. We, we always do this. We get a lead, and we lose it, and we fighting at the end instead of doing it. Uh, later on, I think two weeks after that, he was talking about, yeah, this uh, moving up in the playoff race uh, is okay, but being a 6-7 a seed is nothing. He said we tricked off the, the first two months of the season, which they did. Um, yeah. They're playing good b- basketball. They found guys. Guys are playing in a specific role which is always key uh, when you don't have more than one superstar. And, I, I mean, Blake is the equivalent of a superstar for our team. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call him a superstar, but he's close to that level. Um, I mean, he's a star-level player. Yeah, he's a star-level, yeah. But with that, Man. you got to have key players to be able to do certain things. And I don't know uh, what... Uh, Casey has said or done uh, to the team, but they're reacting to him. They made some quiet, smart moves at the trade deadline, um, and guys have stepped up. Luke Luke Kennard finally shooting like he did in college, giving us opportunity. Langston Galloway, uh, Ish Smith. All these guys are playing their role. Even Reggie is bearable. And, you know, I can't stand Reggie. (laughs) (laughs) Reggie is bearable in the instance of playing his role and not doing too much. He's still a hike up about four or five shots a day. You like, no, 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 no. But they're playing their role. He's making more of those shots so you can live with them. And it's like, it's not. The, The bad decisions aren't being... So overwhelming, playing. And what also I think what people forget is 
the importance of of uh, is when he missed that I think 19 games or that long stretch that hurt and now him coming back it's like you see how much uh, on that second unit how much he needed because even when he brought up and, and kept with that first unit while they give him say uh, regular break that team plays a lot better and a lot more organized with this running the offense. It's just, I wish, it's just something that's lacking in his game that's keeping him from being a, a starter level player, Player, but it is what it is. And I think um, even the, 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 the acquisition of Wayne Ellison, that was a guy that probably signed with Detroit looking like, okay, I'm going to be, this is a stopgap. This is a, uh, a stop on the way. I, I, I throw my scoring with an ability to be a good player and I can find a bigger contract somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And he's he played a role. Um, Bruce Brown, I think, him being a rookie, that's still some growing pains out of that, that, uh, that two or three position, depending on how they set that up. But give him a year to somewhat build a, a jump shot, establish himself as a scorer, the defense is there. And I think the fact that Casey trusts him enough to play defense, that says a lot. Whereas we've seen other coaches in Detroit not willing to play rookies. I mean, Stan Van Gundy was a guy, and I think this will kind of lead to some of the decisions they made with the draft on not taking certain guys because he knew he wasn't going to play them. And I saw a there's been a graphic circulating through uh, a couple of Facebook groups. I mean, and they just picking out some of the all the the, the bad moves that the Pistons have made going back to Darko. I'm like, other than Darko was questionable, we all know that. And then you look at taking Brandon Knight over Kimball Walker, um, coming off of that national championship run for him. Every other pick. You could honestly say I can see where the Pistons were going. It just didn't work out. And mm-hmm. they took Stanley Johnson over Trevor, I mean, over uh, Booker. They were looking for that guy that could be that 3D. Uh, and we've seen how players have developed in that uh, in other roles. It just didn't work out for the Pistons. Um, taking Greg Monroe over Paul George or this somebody. Those are just calculated risks. And every team, and I told somebody in the actual post, you can make this, uh, you can make this same graphic for every team in the NBA. Yep. And they, you got players that hit, you got players that didn't hit. And it's like, okay, it's just the teams that recover and do well are the ones that are able to move on from those bad decisions. And it, it, it took a while for the Pistons to move on, and it's still, they're still moving on, especially when you factor in, and, and and I think this is what made people so leery of the upset about the uh, the Griffin deal was they gave up that first round pick last year for him. I think if they could have found a way of keeping that first round pick, it was, everybody would love that trade from and would consider that one of the best moves the Pistons made. But when they lost that first round pick, considering how I think deeper that draft was than this one, it's like, oh, this is why we missed out. This is why. And, and then that whole 
tanking, uh, and I hate this in sports. I hate this in pro sports. Oh, you should tank. But if somebody's tanking doesn't get you anything, look at how inconsistent the NBA draft has been. What are you tanking for? Outside of, and even with this year's draft, outside of uh, even Zion is a, is a, is a crapshoot. Because we can get the next coming, or we can get somebody uh, that's going to be very questionable, that can't create this shot, and we're going to be wondering what happened to him. So you figure, even if he does give you something, there's only maybe three or four guys at the top of the draft and the top five picks that you can say, oh, I feel comfortable with my team taking one of these four guys. Outside of that, it's like who, what, where. I mean, even looking at the next list, watching the early parts of the Brooklyn game, they're starting small power four with a second-round pick. And he's leading all, I think he, he has some crazy set where he's looking, leading all rookies as a all second-round pick in scoring. They didn't expect that. Right. I mean, you didn't expect Bruce Brown to be a starter when they drafted him in the second round. So, I mean, it's all hopes and prayers, and you just wish that every guy gives you something. He, he may not turn into an all-star, but he at least becomes a piece that you can use along the way getting you towards that the playoffs or a long run in the playoffs. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting. I, and I, it's going to be remain to be seen whether it's going to be a gift or a curse with them playing well down the stretch. Because right now they're paired up against the 76ers. And uh, 76ers uh, and Joel Embiid has proven to be uh, <laughs> Andre Dummond's daddy, daddy uh, multiple times in trash talking and in the game. Um so it's just gonna be interesting. I mean, it's a it's a matchup nightmare for the Pistons in that in that series. Uh, but yeah. if you're in the sixth seed and you get to that point, you take it how it is, growing pains, because that's the only way you're gonna get better is developing the guys that you have to get an opportunity for some guys that can fit certain roles, like another shooter and another uh, slasher and another big uh, maybe a flex big that can assist you in taking that next step, which every team wants to be, at least in that top four in their division. Right. Because you're not doing nothing if you're not in that top four, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the unfortunate thing about it with the NBA. And this is where I think the whole mindset of tanking comes in is kind of problematic. Because, like, you're for what? Because if you're still not ended up or find this a way to be um, Philadelphia, I'm just going off of this, year, Philly, Milwaukee, Toronto, it's like it's still futile. If you're not trying to put yourself in a position to become good enough to beat Golden State, and that first-round pick isn't going to get that, but maybe a, a run in the playoffs sets you up, gives you the experience, and, says, and, and maybe opens yourself up to those secondary tertiary uh, free agents and say, okay, they're, they're a step away. I can be the, the defining piece to get this team over the hump. But if you're sitting there mired in the, the back end of the or the back end of the lottery and pick, pick 10, 11, and 12, they're like, okay, they're not good enough to get, me, get into the playoffs. I'm not going to make a difference. 
and these rookies that they're going to draft aren't good enough. Because I'm just looking now at some of these players that are in the back end of the, uh, the NBA draft. I'm like, unless they just somehow turn on the switch, none of these guys, I'm like, I've seen enough of Romeo Langston to know he's not going to help a team instantly. He still has a lot of flaws in his game where he has to grow. And he may have moments, but it's not going to be enough. And then him going to, like, NBADraft.net as him going to Charlotte. So what does this mean for Malik Monk? What does this mean for... Kimball, because Langford is in that, that, that realm of being a, a ball-dominant two-guard. I'm not saying that he's like this guy, but the same way Harden is in Houston. So how does he fit in with a, a team that already has a point guard? Or oh, is Charlotte coming to grips with the fact that they're about to lose Kimball? Yeah. And that puts them back into a situation where they're that treadmill team. They're not good enough to uh, contend, but they're not bad enough to get a top three pick. They're really going to be that type of player that makes a difference. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the good, the bad, and uh, the bad and the ugly in the NBA. Uh, I would say, I'm going to say this on the air. The, uh, NBA has won me back over. Because uh, I want to say, shoot, probably year two or three, I was done with NFL. I mean, with the NBA, my bad. Uh, I just couldn't watch it. And it had nothing to do with the Pistons and how they were playing. It was just how everything was just stacking up. Uh, parody is is good for fans. Uh, and it can be good for the league. Uh, and even though you have had the LeBron and multiple finals over the last what six seven eight years i don't know uh and golden state winning the championships they have the playoffs have been even round one have been super uber competitive so uh i'll give it to to the nba on that and we could talk about some other aspects of the nba later on uh but we're about to go right into why we here y'all know why we here i'm here for this march madness the real March Madness. We're on the cusp of March Madness. Some teams have already clinched their bids. Unfortunately, one of my alma maters, Radford, took an L in the uh, in the uh, the Big South uh, tournament uh, to uh, Gardner Webb getting their first bid after switching conferences. Uh, crazy thing, they switched conference. And Liberty switched conference with them. Liberty got the first bid being in that conference, and Gardner Webb got their bid. So, uh, real crazy, ironic, but a lot of the big uh, the big conferences, their uh, uh, tournaments are kicking off tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, but before we talk about the conference, because this is somebody who hadn't played uh, in the last six conference games, Mr. Zion Williams. Zion, of course, busted through his shoe, had an undisclosed knee sprain, um, but it brought up a big conversation, and that conversation really kind of died down now because he's scheduled to play in the, the ACC championship, but if Zion was my son, 
what would I do? He's the top player, ACC player of the year, ACC freshman of the year, pretty much uh, 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 the, the most solid bet to be the number one draft pick. What do you do if that's your son? If that was if Zion was my son, I would give him the advice to do what he feels. He has a eight million dollar contract. I mean, uh, insurance policy that if he snip, slips below the um, lottery pick that they would kick in, which that is not going to happen. Um, but at the end of the day, life at the end of the day is all about experiences. If you treat life like a business. You'll, you'll live with some levels of regrets. And I would not force him to do what he wants to, but I would just give him advice that, hey, son, you came to college for a reason. You came to have fun. You came to Duke for a reason. If not, you could have just gone to any college you played, but you could have been like uh, Ben Simmons. Go to LSU that you were all LSU had, not make the tournament, and then go to the draft. But you went to Duke so you can experience it. So, Experience what you can. You can't go on working and look living in fear that that you're not going to make it through one game to the next. You play and you leave everything out there on the court, and you know make the best decision for yourself. Um, if he decided that he didn't want to play, I w- I would be disappointed, but I wouldn't hold it against him because it's his decision. But I think he went to Duke for a reason. He wanted to play for Coach K. You develop a bond. When you play with your teammates and you play for your teammates, you'll never have an atmosphere like the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately for Zion, he missed the two most important games of Duke's uh, uh, schedule, both games against UNC. So he'll never have that experience because he ain't coming back. I know that, but he'll, 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 he'll never have that experience, but that's what it's all about. To be able to look out, and I think uh, it was Antoine Jameson kind of talking about it before the game. I heard him on the radio on Saturday, and he was just talking about, you know, that is a badge of honor for guys that played in Duke and UNC to talk about what your record is against the the uh, the opponent. And, you know, like, yeah, we were 6-2 uh, and two or whatever, whatever, but guys, you know, the top-notch players are not staying around long enough. But you look at you know, guys that do, that end up in the league, it's still a badge of honor. You know, those bets still go on amongst, you know, rivals when you get to to the next level. So, um, I would give him that advice uh, and not monetize the situation, saying he has nothing else to prove in, in a, I don't even think they played 30 games yet, but in a 20... 20 plus game season, there's no way. See, that's to me, I'm going to say that's just the, the media pushing the agenda. You have nothing left to prove. Well, you're playing on a team, so it's not a it's not a one-on-one tournament. So you do have something else to prove because you're playing for a championship. That that will will, will uh you know solidify your, his legacy to you know to no extent that you know you would never be able to say anything about him. Busting through the shoe and all, that if he solidified us and went through and took Duke to a championship, that's legacy right there. That puts you among the, the 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 upper echelon in college basketball, which some people, and I'm a, I'm gonna buy this book. I'm gonna give slam free, a free 
free pub on, on the podcast, but I, I saw it on, I think it was Instagram. The Slam has the most uh, influential or the top 100 NCAA uh, basketball players of all time. And Zion is on the cover among like 25 other guys. But I was very interested that they would have him on on them with, you know, playing pretty much. Right. So, uh, but I'm interested in, in, in reading that. And I, I'm going to have a, we'll have an Instagram poll as the tournament comes. Uh, the After the selection uh, Friday, I mean selection Friday. Selection Sunday uh, of a poll regarding uh, NCAA teams. But if Zion was your son, what would you do, Q? I mean, it's a similar situation to what you said. He has to make that decision for himself. And, I mean, after allowing him to kind of lay it out, whatever he decides, I have to be okay with. Um, Like you said, the whole situation of legacy, uh, of him being able to say, I, I, even even though now it will be in the uh, the, the conference tournament, I beat North Carolina when it matters. I mean, I've seen the debate and the conversation of whether the the conference tournament or the regular season tournament means more. I mean, you have some that will argue, and the ACC fans that will argue, oh, conference tournament means more. So now he has a chance for redemption. Losing the UNC, to, UNC twice in the regular season, but, oh, we beat you. And, and I, I led the charge in the postseason tournament. So I think that would kind of give him that that motivation. And then also, like you said, put him in a situation where he can submit his his legacy with a, a title. I mean, we've seen Duke teams the last couple of years not finish the job that they been expected to, I mean, as with some other teams, and it's like, okay, this team has the talent, but will they manifest it? And a lot of it rides, begins and ends, if Williamson is playing. Um, you just have to, you can't play with that sphere, or you can't live in that sphere of, I might get hurt. Yeah, you might get hurt playing and warming up and practice. I mean, you sit out now, and then you go into the, the whole pre-draft warm-up and you in, a team is interviewing you and expecting you to go through some, some even some basic preliminary drills, what happens if you blow out your knee then? Or you get drafted and it's summer league, but you're not going to play in summer league because you're, you're uh, apprehensive about getting hurt? No. I mean, you can't, there's going to come a time where you can't play with that fear or you can't let that fear determine what you do. So you might as well get over it now. And there's not there wasn't structural damage. There was, it was just a bruise or something like something that was major but not really minor. It wasn't minor, but it wasn't major. And it, it's not going to change the the trajectory of who he is as a player. Now, if this was a say somehow he tore his ACL at the beginning of the season, but now rehabbed it had a chance to come back for the NCAA tournament, then yes, because ACL injuries are a little bit different. Because then you see, you see, you tend to see that situation where players hurt one and then hurt the other one because they're overcompensating. Mm-hmm. But if that if it wasn't that severe, that severe of an injury, you have to play through it. You have to be willing to say, I'm 
good enough. I'm healthy enough to, to make this transition. I'm going to put this team on my back, and let's see how far we can go. And, I mean, it's other guys. It's, I mean, it's, it's guys with more risk. I mean, look at the guy John Morant out of Murray State. He has more risk than anything else because the chances of him winning the NCAA tournament is next to none. I mean, he might, they may go on the run and make it to the grade eight or the final four, but nobody's picking him in Murray State to win the national championship. So he's better suited to say, I'm going to just, I've done what all I can. Even if we win the conference tournament, that's another feather in my cap. I'm going to shut it down. And and after, I think, kind of the same mindset the NFL. The, 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 the college football prospects are saying, it's like, oh, it's not. I'm not going to risk injury for a bowl game. Like, but, hey, injuries are part of life, and these games are opportunities for you to continue to prove that you are a, a, a professional, even on the collegiate level. That's true. That, uh, and you have, you have to be able to do that. And speaking of professional on the collegiate level, uh, the the matchups within the last two weeks between Michigan and Michigan State seemed like a, a prep squad versus uh, a pro team in the aspect of uh, Michigan really um, not showing up for all 40 minutes of the game. Uh, I'm going to say this. Some fans may disagree. Uh, I think uh, these two games from a coaching standpoint, uh, have been the two worst games that, that uh, Beeline has had against Michigan State. And the game at home, I think Michigan just felt Michigan State was going to uh, bow down with Ward's injury, uh, and that intestinal fortitude just did not show. Um Michigan State has exposed Michigan on a level which I I felt was uh, a major issue throughout the year, but throughout the games, um, really multiple players have stepped up. But the real I, the real leader on the team is not someone who can carry the load offensively, and is Xavier Simpson. Um, you have had some players, Ziggy being a first-year college player, uh, Big Ten freshman player of the year. Um, but he, I just don't think he has enough experience to be a leader. He's had, uh, as I call him, Casper moments where he has just disappeared uh, and been afraid to shoot. Um, I could go on and on with the different players. Uh, Matthews is hurt right now, but you miss what Matthew can bring, not what he always brings, but what he can bring. And this team is playing like a beeline team from four years ago where you don't know who's going to do what, how they're going to do it. They're in the games, but they don't, um, they really don't show, they're not playing at their best potential. And I don't think they know how to, from an instance of, because they don't have a leader. And I think that's the biggest issue. I think 
Simpson is the leader, but offensively he can't carry him. And when he feels that he has to carry him offensively, I feel that they are already lost the game. And I think mm-hmm. I think he felt that in the in the in the Michigan State game both times. In the first half of the last game, he was able to knock down some shots, but you had no one else that was able to step up. I'm not going to say Willie, but Abel. And I need Poole and Livers to either hyphenate their name and become one player or just stop jacking up shots. But I'm going to get off my my soapbox, but I want to say this, is that Michigan State and Izzo, uh, Izzo has done what he always does. They weather the storm, guys figure it out, they get in battle to get a point in the season when they think it's over, and then they come and they show out and do this. Cassius Winston definitely deserved being the Big Ten Player of the Year. Just all around playing the leader of that team. Um, but um, again, <clears throat> you can't you can you can't just take teams where they are. You taking what they've given you. So Michigan State has so holes and. I know they're not happy with the potential of having to play Indiana again for the third time in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, And just as I was not happy, uh, I mean, as I was hoping that Penn State was not on our side just because. But Iowa Iowa is a tough issue, too. Iowa lost five straight, so that's even scarier. Um, But, you know, what's your take on how this Michigan-Michigan State series has, has shaken itself out? This year, um, truthfully, this is one of those situations where Michigan State basketball looks a lot like those successful Michigan State football teams. Um, did not have with losing Langford, with losing Ward. I mean, yeah, Winston was a top fifty recruit, but they haven't. They didn't have Michigan State basketball. Did not have that that superstar like they had in Bridges and uh, Jackson last year. So this was essentially, and, and, and the player that basically epitomizes this team the best is going. Uh, walk, a formal walk-on, mid-level re- uh, recruit with mid-level offers who has turned himself into a more than serviceable three-point shooter uh, a, a great option on the offensive side of the ball and a, a good enough player defensively where they haven't missed war. Um, you, you have a, a couple of guys that have, they know their roles, they know what they're supposed to do, they, they play themselves, with, they play within their, role, their roles, and it, it works. Um, and I think that's what has saved Izzo this year compared to last year's, and, and it makes this Michigan State team so dangerous. I've always said it. Tournament time, it, it boils down to guard play. That point guard, or maybe even that shooting guard that you can that you know might be able to give you 15, 20 points in the pinch. But them having uh, Cassius Winston and his ability to take over because I missed the game because I was on a camping trip with some kids, but I was listening to it, and they, Michigan shut them down the first half. And it just seemed that, like, 
just following the score. In the second half, he opened it up, and he found ways of getting it done, and that's the difference between he and Bailey Simpson. And I, and I had this conversation, and I think I told you about this. One of my boys, homeboys from college, is a high school basketball coach in Detroit, and he's a Michigan slapper. And he had the nerve to tell me, oh, I'll take Xavier Simpson over Cassius any day. Not for this Michigan team. Right. This Michigan team needs a guy that, at that position, as great as Xavier is defensively and even just distributing the ball, they need somebody that can push come to shove, can get 10, 15 points when they need it. And he's that guy, and he's shown it numerous times in this season for Michigan State. And I guarantee if Cassius was on Michigan's team, that team would be a guaranteed Final Four team. That's how much of a difference maker he makes. He makes. And you put him with Matthews, you put him with Poole, and you definitely put him with Iggy, that, that holds it. And shoot, and I'm willing to probably go as far as to bet, go as far as to say, if Cassius is on this team last year, that that Villanova game is a lot closer. Yep, it is. While Xavier has definitely improved his shooting and his foul shoot, he was a lot good last year. And they that was somebody that teams definitely did not concern themselves with offensively. So you knew, okay, Michigan is playing four on five. So that means if if Livers is off, I mean, if uh, Matthews is off, that means three on five. So there was definitely some edge opportunities for somebody like a Winston to come in, and it speaks to the issues of Michigan this year. They don't have that guy coming off the bench that they can trust. I mean, it was supposed to be Livers, but he's, like you said, he's been too ghost. He's been too inconsistent. There's nobody coming off that bench that they know, okay, that can give us eight points or give us a key, key shot, which is why seeing uh, uh, a couple of those guys hit big shots early on in the first half, you figure, okay, this might be their night. Because you have this guy hitting the shot. You have this Castleton making the play. You have all these guys making plays that want making them the rest of the season. So, I mean, but it's, it's just it's just frustrating. I think it, it shows how college basketball is still that one or two player sport. And I'm still, I mean, calling me a pessimist. I don't see Michigan getting out, depending on the matchups, I don't see Michigan getting out that first weekend, even as a three seed. If they have to go into a situation where they, they're worried about getting in the foul trouble, because the team is plays a little bit bigger, has one or two big men that they can have somebody at that four that can challenge him, they're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, just, but and the one thing regarding that, and then I'm going to give you what, uh, you were so profound and you weren't watching the game, I'm going to tell you how profound you were by listening to it with Cassius. But that's the thing is, is like this time, typically Michigan has stumbled into the Big Ten tournament, not really this hot, and have come together. 
you know, you know, with the plane crash and, and that they came together, they've been on a run. So it's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, this, these, these games, three, four games, three games that they can play can really solidify them and get them in the right place. So, um, and they, again, recent history has shown that they have stepped themselves up in that game in in the tournament. And then, you know, the, the little, uh, as I call them, uh, tropical tournaments. Uh, but uh, you, you spoke on catches and you talked about you watching the game. And so they, Michigan State, Michigan State was coming back and they were down. They took the lead. Michigan took a timeout. They came back from the timeout, and your favorite announcer, Dockett, of course, said, "Oh." He said Cassius was in the huddle and told him, we not giving this up. And they didn't. Literally, they were up one or three points. And from that point on, he took it over. And that's the leadership with the offensive prowess that he has. Now, he's not athletic as, as you would like your point guard to be, especially an undersized point guard. But he took it over. He has that mentality. He has that alpha mentality from the point guard that we got this. This is ours. And his teammates followed him. And, I mean, it was just amazing to see. Like, it's one of those things when you hear somebody say that, like, uh, dang it, I'm trying to think. Uh, it was, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, it was, was it the dang old Michigan State game the first time? I think it was the first time. Somebody did something and pissed Izzo off. And I was like, why did you do that? And it just turned, it just turned the tide. So it's just that, that, that mentality. And again, I have never, I, you know, I don't like Michigan state, but I have never hated on Michigan state's basketball, uh, prowess and what they've done under Izzo. It's been remarkable. Uh, so I've never knocked them for that, but you know, they just really stepped up. I'm really interested to see how they're going to play, how they're going to manage Ward's minutes. It's confirmed he is going to play in the tournament. This is where the Magic Izzo is going to have to play a part because this could be the Achilles heel. It could be the, the gift or the curse because they've been playing a different type of ball with Ward, without Ward than they were with him. And are they going to be able to continue, uh, continue this this run that they've been on, uh, that's led them to a cold big 10 championship, uh, in the tournament with Ward. And, you know, I don't know, but we will be back live and direct in your face. We will have the link to the sports Q and a, uh, bracket buster bracket challenge. Uh, but I'm going to ask you one question on the way out. As it stands right now, where is the seeding for Michigan State and Michigan? Um, I saw this on my Twitter timeline and I think I posted it with it. Um, Michigan State is a 2 seed. Michigan is a 3 seed. And it's just where they are a 2 seed and 3 seed at that could really determine. 
if you put them uh, in a, a two-seed, but they got to face, Michigan State got to face uh, Gonzaga as a one-seed, they in trouble. So I really think the balance of that team and Mark Few will kind of be something that they have to kind of struggle with. Or if you put them against a a good team that I still think was going to find their, their issues because, as I said earlier, the tournament is guard-led-based. Um, you need guards to kind of send aside and figure things out, and they don't have that yet. I mean, Trey Young, I mean, not Trey Young, uh, the, I can't think of the young point guard name, um, um, but he's not, he, he, he's a great defender, but I, I still think when it comes down to it, being able to generate offense that way is going to be problematic. Whereas, uh, if you stop Duke from shooting threes, um, they kind of, their offense goes stagnant and they have to find, I mean, outside. And maybe, hopefully, the tournament is an opportunity for Zion to get everything going back that way and maybe that opens some things up. But that new team without him, yeah, they're in trouble, because which is sad because you would think, okay, they they still have they still have Cam Reddish, they still have uh, Barrett on that team, which would be good enough for most teams to still win, and they can't win the matter. Yeah. Well, as, as we're closing this show on the dang on pre bracket, one shining moment just. Went in reverse for a local team with Oakland taking the L to Northern Kentucky on the three-pointer with 1.6 to go uh, by dude who, McDonald from Northern Kentucky who, by his disposition, reminds me of Christian Leitner, like a player you love to hate. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's where we are right there. Uh, March Madness. Make sure you follow us on all your social media, sports underscore QA, on Instagram, on Twitter. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and make sure that you follow us on our website, www.sportsqanda.com. That is www.sportsqanda.com. And check us out. We'll have links on all our social media sites of the Bracket Challenge. Join us. The winner does get a pair of t-shirt of the team of their choice. Uh, if you win the bracket. So with that, folks, we're heading out of here. Check us out. Make sure you share this. Uh, we're all over the place. Anchor. We're on radio.com. We're on uh, Spotify. We're on Apple iTunes. Make sure you share follow us and share with your friends. We are out of here. Holla at you next time. Peace. Peace.